Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. We are concluding a series entitled Modern Romance, and we have been looking at the book of Genesis, and today we're going to be in Genesis chapter number four. This series also could be called a how-to relationship series. The first week we said, how do I know I'm ready for a relationship? And then we went on week number two, how to transform trauma. Because if you don't transform the trauma, you transfer the trauma. Week number three, last week, how to handle conflict. And today, how to navigate the highs and lows of love. And with your Bibles open, I want to look at two verses at the end of chapter number four. Notice if you would, verse number 25, the Bible says this, and Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. I remember when the first the church first started, I was asked to officiate a wedding. And I was excited because this would be the very first wedding of the church that I would officiate. So, you know, I did what everybody's supposed to do. You go online and you kind of do a Google search on what to say. I looked at some of the books that I had and tried to get the wording just right. And then the day for the ceremony came and I did the ceremony. And as I was doing the ceremony, I noticed that everybody who attended, they were just bored. You could just read their body language. You could look at their expressions. You could just tell they, their eyes were glazed over. They were just not into it. Now, of course, the bride and the groom, they were happy, but everybody else just kind of tuned it out. It was, it was, it was pretty boring. Afterward, I got done and I asked a couple people and they were just like, yeah, that was, that was pretty awful. And I was like, man, I need to get better at how to actually uh, officiate a wedding ceremony that a little bit more engaging. And then the next couple, I was doing some what we call premarital counseling. And part of the counseling, I asked you a couple questions. One of the questions that I like to ask is, uh, tell me about your happiest moment in the relationship. And it's amazing to watch their eyes light up as I talk about the happiest moment in their relationship. And then I said, tell me about the saddest moment in the relationship. And sometimes there would be tears and we'd break out the tissue and they would share a sad moment in their relationship. And then I said, now share with me the most embarrassing, just, just embarrassing moment in the relationship. And then they would giggle, they'd blush, they'd turn red. And it was amazing because not only was it just part of healthy therapy, because it reminded them that even though there are some really sad moments that every relationship has gone through and will go through, you still made it through. And there were some really great moments. And then there's those fun moments to remind you not to take yourself too serious. So I took all those stories that they shared and then the next time somebody asked me to officiate their wedding, I took those three stories and I put it into the wedding. Most amazing thing happened. People in the crowd while I was officiating the wedding, 
they would laugh, they would clap, some would have tears, and we just, the whole ceremony, people would just walk out and we're like, that was amazing. And then I started getting asked more and more to do weddings and I had to like slow it down a little bit. And then I started to wonder why, when I shared stories about the couple, did it engage the audience so much more? Then I realized we don't always relate to one another when we share our successes, but we all can relate to one another when we talk about our pain. We all can relate. And maybe as we've been teaching this series through the life of Adam and Eve and their relationship, maybe you've been thinking, you know, their relationship isn't as difficult as my relationship. And you've been looking at Adam and Eve, and maybe you have the picture in your mind that I have. I mean, when I picture Adam, I think of uh, nice curly locks of hair, chiseled chest, you know. Uh, he doesn't just have a six-pack. He's got an eight-pack, you know. All his muscles are well-defined. And then when you picture Eve, she's just beautiful, and it looks like she's got all her makeup done, even though makeup didn't even exist, you know. And everything's just so perfect, right? And we can kind of assume that their relationship is perfect, I think sometimes people might look at Jane and I's relationship and think they have no problems. Or maybe you in your life group, you're looking at the life group leader thinking that they have no relationship issues. Maybe you've got a friend that you look at their marriage, you're like, their marriage is perfect. Can I let you in on a little secret? Lean in. They're lying. Everybody has relationship issues. Everybody struggles. Everybody has the highs and they have the lows. But this morning, I want to actually chart out Adam and Eve's relationship story. And it really starts in Genesis chapter number two, where Adam is first created. And I'm going to pull this back just so we can see it a little bit better. And I'll try to make it so the people on my right, your left, can kind of see this too. So uh, you see, Adam's story begins in Genesis chapter number two. Adam is born. That's Genesis chapter number two. And then quickly, things just take off for him, right? So in Genesis chapter number two, at the end of the chapter, Adam and Eve get married. So here you have Adam plus Eve. They get married. Now, what we want is a linear love story. You say, what do you mean a linear love story? We want it to keep on going up and to the right, don't we? And that's what we want for everybody's relationship. But is that reality? No. What happened in Genesis chapter number three? In Genesis chapter number three, you see that things go down, and Adam plus Eve, they sin. Now, I want to stop just for a second. Notice when Satan showed up. He didn't show up before the marriage. He shows up after. Satan always waits because he's going for your relationship. He wants to destroy your relationship. That's his goal. But here's the thing. As you keep reading in this passage of scripture that we've been studying, even though they fell and they fell hard, their love story doesn't stay here, does it? In Genesis chapter number four, it comes back up. You say, how does it come back up? Because Adam and Eve have a son. His name's Cain. They're super excited. Adam and Eve, once again, it's another high moment. This is Genesis 4. They have Cain. And they even said, God has given me a son. And Eve thought Cain was going to be the promised Messiah. So they're all excited. I mean, they're going from 
high to low, but now they're back up on top. Maybe that's how your life has felt at times. Where you're like, man, I've been down, but man, I'm finally back up on top. But does it last? We saw last week, it didn't last, did it? What happened? Once again, we see a tragedy. We see that Cain kills Abel. Probably the worst moment of any parent is to see the death of a child. So many times when we grieve with someone, there's a different grief when a parent is bearing a child. Every parent in this room doesn't want to ever have to go through that. And it just feels so foreign, so like that's not how the cycle is supposed to work. So imagine Adam and Eve, this is a low moment. But is this where they stay? No. We continue reading, and then you go on. Once again, there's another high moment because we read in this passage that Adam knew Eve again, and they have a son. His name is Seth. So once again, Adam plus Eve have Abel. It's another high moment. Excuse me. Thank you, Seth. They have Seth. And so we see that there's this high moment, low moment, and then their, their life kind of goes back and forth. There was another low moment in that same passage of scripture we read. They talk about Cain. And then in Genesis chapter number five, Adam dies. Okay. And we're going to get to that. Adam dies in Genesis chapter number five. Their relationship goes up, down, up, down. Does this look like anything you've ever seen before? Maybe in a hospital, a heart monitor, because life goes up and life goes down. Life goes up and life goes down. My friend, you are here this morning and maybe you are thinking, oh, my relationship is so frustrating. I don't know if it's going to make it. Can I tell you this? The up and down means you're alive. The problem is when the relationship no longer has the ups and downs. The tragedy comes when the relationship flatlines, where it's just a flatline, where there's nothing left. There's no highs. There's no lows. It's flatlined. But I want to encourage you, all of this, and I want you to get this if you're taking notes, this is so important because for the longest time, I didn't think any of this was normal. I thought I was the only one that ever argued with this wife, the only one that ever got frustrated, the only one that ever slammed doors, the only one that ever yelled, the only one that even though I'm a pastor and I don't curse, the only time I would curse was when I'd get in an argument with my wife. I thought I was the only one. And then come to find out, even the most perfect couple, my friend, has highs and they have lows and love is not linear. It's up and it's down. But how do we navigate the highs and the lows of the relationship? And that's what we're going to see. And I want you to get this because it's so important because we live in a culture now that we don't understand this because we live in this culture where nobody's buying it, but we kind of want, and they live happily ever after. But that's only true in fairy tales and films. That's the only place that's true. That's not reality. We live in the real world, and in the real world, there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. But here's the truth that we can learn that's so important that we've got to get from Adam. And this is this, that when there is a breakdown, you don't have to break up. When there's a breakdown, you do not have to break up. 
And so many couples, they say, oh no, we've had a major event. This is it. This is the end. I love that. In the verse to, in the verse 25 that we read, there's one word that really sticks out in that verse. And it says that Adam knew Eve again. I love this. He came back after everything that's happened. And get this, when a couple, when a married couple go through traumatic loss, typically the relationship breaks apart. When the, when the couple, especially in the loss of a child, that ends a lot of relationships. A lot of divorces come from that. And look at the things that they've had to navigate. These are serious issues. These are high watermark issues. And this isn't even to fill in all the rest. We could go on and we could have branches and have more spikes, highs and lows, just trying to pick out the house. What kind of house they're going to build it? Where are they going to build it? We live in a cave? Are we going to cut down some trees? I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that they had to figure out. There's a lot of things that they had to deal with that don't make it in there. But too often, when things break down, we want to break up. You see, what you will go through will either break you or it will bring you closer together. That's what's going to happen. But you get to decide. But it starts with when you understand this word again. We have bought into the misnomer that repetition isn't romantic. We bought into that. We think and we hear this word again, doing the right things again and again and again. And we think repetition's not very romantic. I mean, it kind of seems boring. And in our mind, when we hear the word repetition, we think, oh, this is the couple that every Friday night does the exact same thing for date night. They go to Applebee's, they go watch a movie, they come back home, they turn on the TV and they sit there till they're too tired and then they finally go to bed. And that's date night. Yeah, you're right. If that's your mindset of what repetition or romance is, there's no romance there. There's, there's not there. But what about this? What about the guy that wrote his wife a love letter every single day of his life and then one day he gives all these letters that he has written to her every single day? Is that romantic? Absolutely. But it also involved repetition, didn't it? You and I have allowed culture to tell us that if we are repetitive, that it's no longer romantic. Can I tell you what my wife finds romantic? She finds romantic that I make the bed every day, that I make her breakfast every day, that I walk the dog every day, that I take care of these things every single day. She says, hey, that's what works for her. That's part of her love language. And those are things that maybe aren't going to make some movie anywhere. Nobody's like, oh, man, that's a great movie of a love story. Let's... Get rid of the notebook. That movie's got nothing on the guy who makes the bed, who walks the dog, and cooks breakfast. Let's make that a movie. It'd be a horrible movie. You wouldn't want to watch it. And so in our minds, we don't look at repetition and romance as together, but they're necessary. And that's what that word again means. You need to do these things again and again and again. This repetition. And here's what's the amazing part. One day when they put me in a pine box and they're about to lower me down, there are these things that they're going to remember about Micaiah Ermla that they're going to say, he was consistent. He loved one woman, raised one family. He was faithful. What you and I are missing out on today is we no longer have the goal of consistent couples. We've fallen for the fallacy that it's all about chemistry. 
That, oh, I just don't have the chemistry. I don't have the spark. I don't have the butterflies anymore. My friend, let me tell you this. You are buying into a fallacy that there has to be chemistry. What you need to understand is chemistry may start the relationship, but character is what's going to sustain the relationship. And today, we are lacking the character in the relationship. And I love that Adam has the character to once again say, no, I'm going to stick with Eve. And I love this. And guys, let me speak to the men. Ladies, you can take pause. You can check your phone. You can write the grocery list for just a minute because I want to talk to the men in the room. Men, take back your marriage. Be the leader in the relationship. And you say, well, you don't know my wife. She's a strong woman. My friend, I love the fact that you married a strong woman. It says a lot about you, actually. It says that you are not intimidated by strength. You knew what she was when you married her. As a matter of fact, that was an attractive moment for you, that you knew she's a confident, capable, charismatic woman. But now you're letting her lead instead of you leading. And I get why. There's two reasons for us men we will uh, we'll let our wives make and call all the shots. It's because we've allowed sin in and we no longer feel worthy of leadership. Because of a sin, we no longer feel worthy to lead. My friend, did Adam sin, yes or no? Yes. Did he still have to lead, yes or no? Yes, he did. Genesis chapter number two, Adam, and we're going to see in a moment, Genesis chapter number five, Adam, are two different Adams. Ladies, give your man time to grow and mature and become the leader. But he is the God-given leader. He's the chosen leader. Today, I meet so many guys that they will say, oh, well, my wife doesn't want to do this and do that. Who's the leader? You are the spiritual head. God is not going to one day be like, hey, why didn't you do this? Why don't you go there? Well, the wife you gave me. And he's going to be like, whoa, whoa. Really, man? Really, dude? So we need to stop. And let's take back our marriage. If you know what God has said for you to do, you could say it lovingly and kindly, but you can lead. And don't let the sin in your past keep you back from leading. Adam could have done that. But instead, he decided, no, I've got some things. And every man in this room, we are going to struggle. Adam struggled. So give yourself permission to say, yes, babe, I'm going to get it wrong. But I'm going to keep lovingly serving. Be the servant leader that she will want to submit to. If you will lead properly, she'll be glad to submit to that. She'll be glad to say, you know what? Yeah, I can follow that kind of a person. No, he's not perfect. But yet he keeps trying because again and again and again. And then she'll know this. Yes, he messed up. And yes, I'm frustrated. And yes, I said some things that cut deep and I didn't mean to say. But in the moment, I just felt like saying it. And instead of him just saying, well, that's it, he can lead. We need men to say, this is what God told me. And I'm going to continue to lead. I'm going to be consistent. You see, romance is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. And you and I need to say, I'm going to be exclusive in this relationship. And this repetition is what's going to bring the result that you want. You see, if you are faithful, your relationship will be fruitful. Genesis, uh, Galatians chapter number six, verses uh, seven and eight says, God, uh, be not mocked. God does not see whatsoever man sows, that shall also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. You reap what you sow and you reap where you sow. If you are sowing into your relationship, you will reap a harvest in the relationship. So are you coming back to these things and doing them again and again and again? Because we have this idea that I did it once and once is enough. No, my friend, once is not enough. I can't just say I went to church once last year and I'm good. 
I can't say that I brushed my teeth once last year and my teeth are good. I can't say that I went to the gym once last year, I'm healthy. I can't say that I ate once last year and I'm alive. No, but yet we do these things. And somehow we buy into the thinking that I can do things once and that's enough. No, your spouse, your partner, your wife, your husband wants to see you consistent, be a consistent couple. And you will reap what you've sowed and you're going to reap where you've sowed. Too often, we make the mistake of thinking I have sacrificed by serving. But it's only a sacrifice if you think that there's no more of that thing. My friend, last year, we sold our home. We gave it to the church. Can I tell you that was not a sacrifice? If I told you it was a sacrifice, that would be saying that God couldn't give me another house. Because sacrifice means scarcity. I don't believe that that's it. I believe that God has so much more. So I can give up because I know there's more. So you can serve your wife with love because you know that there's more love. You see, some of you are holding back on the love and the kindness and the blessing that your spouse needs because you don't think there's any more. And you are holding back your own lifeblood. You're holding back. I went scuba diving one time and one time only. And it was very important that I had that oxygen tank. The only reason I've only gone one time is I couldn't get air. And I started to freak out at 35 feet down in the ocean floor. And I said, this is not for me. Maybe it's for you. But it was very critical that I get air. Otherwise, I started to panic. Some of your relationships don't have the oxygen, the life that they need, and that's why you're seeing the problems, the ups and downs, because you are withholding some of the things that that relationship needs. So once again, if you're faithful, you will see that the relationship will be fruitful. Today, I meet a lot of gifted people. I meet few faithful people. The church is filled with gifted people. It's not filled with faithful people. But throughout the scripture, there is one value that God holds in highest esteem. It's the value of faithfulness, not talent, not giftedness. And yet the church is filled with gifted people that aren't faithful. And God is looking for couples that say, yeah, maybe we're not the most gifted, not the most creative. And maybe our Instagram profile doesn't look like we're the most outgoing, adventurous couple. But you know what? Those things don't matter because we're a faithful couple. We're going to be faithful. So we see the first word is the word again. And I love that. I love that there is this this consistency. But then in verse 26, there's another word I want you to look at. Let's go back to verse number 26 because it's so powerful. And I just read it and it just blew my mind. It says, and as for Seth, to him also a son was born and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Verse 25, there's one big word. It's the word again. And then in verse 26, there's one big word that stands out. It's the word then. You see, this is the key word. When we repeat something, there will be a result. There's a connection between what you repeat and the results that you get. But we live in a culture now that wants the results without the repetition. We want the six-pack without the gym. We want to have a close relationship with God, but we don't want to actually get to know God. We want these things without doing that. When you do that uh, again and again, then you can have the result. And I love this in this passage of Scripture because it's a powerful result. The Bible says that then men begin to call on the name of the Lord their God. That's powerful. 
that when the relationship was right, revival came to the earth. Your relationship being right could bring about the revival. Some of us don't understand how powerful a relationship is. What a powerful testimony it can be. That men called on the Lord because of a right relationship. So once again, we need to get back to then thinking there's a connection. My parents next week, or excuse me, next month, will celebrate their 45th wedding anniversary. Seven kids, over 12 grandkids, and still more to come. And it's just amazing to see all that fruit But the fruit was because of faithfulness. And we've got to get back to that in our relationships. Instead of just saying, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know. There's a breakdown, so maybe we should uh, uh, just break this thing apart. Instead of saying, no, we're going to be faithful. You see, then is simply the byproduct of right behavior. Let me ask you a question. Are you trying to have then type results, but skipping again type of repetition. You want the results of then, but you're not willing to do the again work that's necessary. You just wanted to skip the process. You see, the repetition led to extraordinary results. There was kids, there was grandkids, there was a revival. There were so many great things that happened because of this spectacular moment. But then too often we make the mistake that earlier in this chapter that they make. We're running out of time, but in verse number 16 through verse number 24, there was Cain and his descendants and how they turned out and how they chose to do things. And a matter of fact, in one verse, it says this in verse 23, then uh, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zilhah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. What was he doing? He was justifying the murder. He's saying, Cain got away with it, so I should get away with it. You have your second murder. Two different diverge paths. One path that said, we're going to call on God. Another path that says, we're going to justify murder. Because they had a different thinking. It wasn't again then, it was then again thinking. You say, what do you mean then again thinking? Let me break down the definition. You see, Then again is to say that although something is true, something else is also true, which makes the first thing seem less important. It's like this. I've seen couples do this. Couples say, hey, we should pray and read our Bibles together. Then again, I want my walk with God to be mine. So you pray by yourself and you do that. What is really, are they saying? They're actually making an excuse. They're actually copying out. Hey, we could eat right. Then again, let's not. Hey, we could go to the gym. Nah. Oh, we could go to church. Then again, it's the opposite. It's doing the opposite thing. Instead of saying, no, I'm going to do this thing that's right. It's saying, no, I'm going to do the opposite opposite. And the culture today has this mindset of this then again type thinking. Instead of saying, no, 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 I'm going to do the right work again and again and again and let God bring the results. And it's easy to say, you know what? I'm kind of done. I'm going to give up. I'm going to just not keep going. And some of us, we get hung up by our past so we can't move forward. But some of you, you're not actually hung up on your past. You're hung up on perfection. Some of you, because everything has to be perfect, you won't take the next step. 
you won't move forward in the relationship. Because for you, it's not that it just needs to be uh, uh, good. It has to be absolutely perfect. She has to be perfect. The environment has to be perfect. And I'm telling you, Adam and Eve operated in a life that nothing was perfect. Perfect ended in Genesis chapter number three, but yet their life didn't end. And some of you feel like, well, if it can't be perfect, then we can't continue and we can't make it. And my friend, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You see, sometimes people are afraid to simply say, I'm going to keep going. Worship team, I'm going to invite you out onto the stage as we close. You know, it's very important that you and I say, how am I going to make it through the highs and lows? And the simple decision you have to make is that you are going to just keep moving forward. When I was learning to ride a bike, I I learned in Morgan Hill, my parents had a home and we lived on a cul-de-sac. And you know, when you first learn to ride a bike, it's one of those things where you're, you're really watching everything, right? You're like, okay, how high am I up, you know, and it's wobbly and you're, and you're constantly looking at that front wheel and, and, and you're, you're constantly trying to counter and you're not really worried about pedaling and you're like, man, I've got to pedal, I've got to balance and I've got to watch out so I don't hit anything and, and you're doing all these very awkward, jerky movements. And then I remember my father, he came out and my dad said, okay, Makai, let's, let's back up the bike and he said, your problem is you're focused on the wheel. You're focused on the wheel. And I said, well, yeah, if I don't focus on the wheel, I'm going to fall over and I'm going to maybe scratch my knee up. And then my dad said, okay, do you see at the end of the cul-de-sac, do you see the light? I said, I see that light. He said, you see that light post? I said, yeah, I see it. He said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get on the bike and I want you to constantly look at that light post. Don't take your eyes off of it. He said, keep your eyes fixed on that light post. And I said, but, but what about the wheel? And he said, don't worry about the wheel. He said, you pedal, and all you do is you focus on that light post. Don't take your eyes off that light post. I said, okay, I'll try it. So I get on the bike, my little legs, start pedaling. And I was like, but what about the wheel? My dad said, just look at the light post. Yeah, but what if I fall? Just look at the light post. And as I kept my eyes on that light post, something began to happen. I started to ride my bike by myself. I was riding down that cul-de-sac because my eyes were on the light post. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Psalms 23, it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What is that shepherd saying? Is he fixated on the valley? Not at all. He is focused on Jesus. Your relationship, your marriage may be difficult what dating may be difficult for you but I'm telling you this morning keep your eyes on Jesus and go forward don't look to the left don't work look to the right you say but pastor you don't understand we're fumbling we're arguing we're fighting eyes on Jesus keep your eyes on Jesus you say I'm not in a relationship keep your eyes on Jesus I don't know what's going to happen in my future in my marriage but my eyes are on Jesus I don't know what's going to happen in the future of our church but my eyes are on Jesus I don't know what's going to happen in our world but my eyes are on 
on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus this morning. Don't get your eyes off of Jesus. The waves of this world are going to crash on you and you're going to have to say, Lord, there's highs and there's lows and I don't know how to navigate it. And you have to simply say, God, my eyes are on you no matter what. I'm not taking my eyes off of you. And one day, you're going to look back like Adam and Eve and you're going to say, how did we make it through that? How did we do that? Genesis 5. You've got to see this. This is powerful. Genesis 5. Notice if you would. Adam dies. And God sums up Adam's entire life in five verses. Notice what God says about Adam. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years, and he begat a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begat Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. In the retelling of Adam's life, did God bring up the sin? Did God bring up the fall? Did God bring up the death of his son? Did God bring up the fact that the line was broken? What's amazing is God brought none of that up. God rewrote their love story. God rewrote his story entirely. And it's like God just said, Adam, I know you went through it, but there's no reason for me to bring it up because I've separated your sin as far as the east is from the west. And so in the retelling of your story, Adam, your story doesn't have that anymore. You know what the name Seth means? It means substitute or in place of. God said, I've replaced all of that. I've given you a new love story. I've rewrote your romance. I've given you something new. And today, no matter your past, no matter the pain, God is saying, I can rewrite the story. What got remembered was the result of Adam's repetition. Because Adam said, I will love Eve again. Then men called on God. And then chapter 5, Adam went to his rest. And that's what we want. That's what this church wants for you. To know that yes, the relationship is going to have the highs and lows. But with eyes on Jesus, you can make it. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to give us all a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, to allow Him to whisper into your spirit, to remind your heart that your God is a good God. He's a loving God. He has not abandoned you, that He wants you to see that if you will remain consistent that the outcome will be far different than the start. And I would love to pray for you. I would love to pray that 
Many of you have a heart of fear and doubt that that would be replaced and you would sense and you would feel and you would know that God can rewrite any love story. Can I pray for you? Would you slip up a hand? You say, yes, Pastor, pray for me. I see those hands. God bless you. Oh, God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Oh, God bless you. You may put your hands down. Maybe there's some here that you don't know Christ as your Savior. And you say, today I want to receive Christ my Savior. We had one in the first service. She said, yes, I want, to, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. Is that you? You slip up a hand. You say, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. Amen. I see your hand. God bless you. I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray out loud what we would call a sinner's prayer. And you pray in your heart and in your mind to receive Christ. It goes like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned and rebelled against you. I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive my sin. I ask you to remove it far from me. I want to receive you into my heart as my Savior. And forgive me and cleanse me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Did you pray that prayer? If you slip up your hand, can we celebrate with you? Oh, amen. Amen. In just a moment, the worship team's going to lead us in a song of worship. And if you'd like to slip out of your seat and have one of us pray over you or for you, we'd love to do that. But we have some that are also going to get baptized, and we're going to invite them to be dismissed right now to prepare to change for baptism. And so you could be dismissed, and we'll meet you right after for baptism. But worship team, would you lead us in a song of worship? And as the worship team is leading us, we're going to once again lift our voices in praise to our amazing God. Worship team. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.